Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 98. I am really excited to have discovered this young gentleman recently on Instagram, thanks to past show guest, uh, Dr. Carrie Jones. And (laughs) while he is a PT and a health coach, he's taken a bazillion courses in very specialized biochemistry topics. And I could just feel his passion for biochemistry, for people, for helping get people well. You know, one of those puzzle junkies. And I think for so many of us who've experienced some chronic or vague unrelated symptoms or anything that's been really tricky to put in a box, label and heal, that can leave you feeling really frustrated if you don't surround yourself with practitioners and people who love a good puzzle. And I think people who love a good puzzle around us keep us hopeful that we can move forward as we uncover little pieces of the puzzle that are going to help us heal. So something that I saw through his Instagram stories and his Instagram feed was just how deeply he likes to dig in the puzzle and and help people really understand the human body. And um, while we talk about a few technical things and and some really, um, really nerdy science in this chat, I hope you can hear as I can the the sheer enthusiasm that uh, Jake has for the human body and for people to feel their best selves. So uh, today we focus a lot on uh, environmental factors, digestion specifically, but uh, I, I just felt like we had about sort of three times the questions <laughs> and because we went so deep into the few that we cover today, I've, um, I've decided I need to have a part two with Jake and, uh, and, and so that'll happen in a couple of months, which will be fun. Uh, but I think he's one of the young rising stars. I, I'm one of those people that I feel like uh, I, I can't wait to see what he does in the next 20 years because he really is um, just so inspiring with how much he's already garnered already and how much uh, he's helping people. So uh, that's coming up in a little minute. I just want to remind you, you literally have today and tomorrow to make the very last best of the Rose Hit Plus offer of 40% off. Head to the show notes, lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, and you'll see um, today's episode. Just click and and grab your code and, and head over there. It's been wonderful to hear how many people are already, who made the most of it in the first week, already giving great feedback about the quality of their Rose Hip Oil and their skincare range, which is lovely. You know, I would never recommend something that I didn't think was wonderful and useful. And, uh, and it's lovely to see everybody enjoying it and, um, and getting and making the most of the offer. The other thing I just wanted to remind you of is that just around the corner, we have my book being available to UK and Ireland listeners. Uh, and so that is August the 8th. It comes out to a good bookstore near you, UK and Ireland. So I'm really excited. I can't wait to be with you guys in October, hopefully giving a little talk, doing a bit of radio and some promo stuff, which will be fun. But in the meantime, please support the book. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. It's going so well in Australia. We're on our second reprint, which is crazy. So Australians, get busy finding yourself a copy, otherwise you'll be waiting till the end of September to get your hands on it. I hear that Big W, Target, um, are both really great places to get it and your independent bookstores might still have a couple of copies up their sleeve, as well as Booktopia. 
And you've got all of the links on all of the different places that you can buy the book. And then for the US, you have to wait till September 4th, but you can pre-order via Amazon.com uh, already uh, if you wanted to just make sure you reserved your copy because they are, <laughs> it's a great problem to have, but they are flying out the door. And I don't want our core Lotox community to miss out on getting your own copy. So that's everything I have to say about the book. Last thing I wanted to say before we jumped into the chat with Jake was that Inflammation Ninja, our new e-course, $85 lifetime access, and we are planning on adding plenty more to this course by way of interviews over the next couple of months on top of a huge amount of content that is already in there to help you move forward if you experience chronic inflammation of any kind due to any kind of any manner of the causes that it, uh, it can stem from. Uh, and, uh, and it's available now. I kind of did a little bit of a false launch and then had a bunch of book talks that week and just could not get it finished in the way that I wanted to launch it. Um, and so it is definitely ready for you to jump on in and make the most of now. And, and let's get a bit of a Facebook community happening around the inflammation topic. As many of you know, um, from listening to shows, either 55, 75 or both that I have, um, experienced and am still recovering from chronic inflammatory response syndrome due to long-term mold exposure. And, uh, and that's just one of the many reasons people can be living with chronic inflammation. So I'm really, really passionate about this topic. I'm upset that so many of us have to spend so many thousands of dollars on all sorts of crazy tests before we can actually start to move forward and figure out what on earth is going on. And that was really a from heart reason for building this for our community and, and reaching out and connecting so that we can get some village wisdom happening so that we can get some incredible doctors to lend their voices to this and help us find the right kind of support faster and save money and save time feeling crappy. No one needs to feel super crappy for super long. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm really proud of what we've created. So jump in there, enjoy. And I've got a little 20% off for podcast listeners for this whole week and you've got your code in the show notes. So lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast to get to today's show notes. Um, for anyone who wants to make the most of Inflammation Ninja in its first week of launch, head over there and you'll be able to grab that code and get 20% off. So it makes it, I think it's like 69 or something dollars um, if it's 20% uh, off, which is crazy. Once you get in there, you'll see how much there is. It's wonderful. Um, really, really excited to start to get some feedback from you guys. So there we have it. And now I'm going to jump into this chat with uh, Coach Jake Carter. Enjoy. Hey, Jake, how are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm really great. Thank you. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've been following your Instagram for a little while now. And, uh, and it was actually through Dr. Carrie Jones, a past uh, show guest who I know we have in common um, as mutual respect and adoration society for, uh, that brought us together to sort of start chatting. And, uh, and I thought, wow, you really, really understand biochemistry. And there are so many people who 
feel like they've hit roadblocks for whatever reason in their health. And it's always just so wonderful when I find people like you to bring on the show and see whether we can move um, certain trickier cases forward or even take people to a newer level of thriving. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And and the questions, what you sent through, um, really looking forward to getting into. There's a yeah. lot of detail which we just spoke about. So yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really good. I know, right? Buckle up, people. This is a big yeah. one. <laughs> so um, let's just start with, for the people who don't know you, Coach Jake Carter on Instagram, if anyone wants to follow along. Um, how did you come to be doing what you do today? Because, you know, your um, profile pic is like this mega ripped, like PT coach kind of vibe. And then when you start to read your post, you're like, wow, you're actually like one of the biggest biochem nerds I've ever come across. And I'd love to see how (laughs) this move from being about um, purely about PT and physical conditioning for you and your clients and into really this holistic look at the magic of the body and how to help people really thrive right down to the cellular level rather than simply just having great abs. Yeah, so it's it's um it was almost by uh, default really. So I started off in the industry um, at fifteen. I, I started training when I was at school, and then uh, I started uh, doing all right in the gym. And one of the managers come up and said, "Look, right, we we know that you're not qualified, but how about you work here?" So, I thought, okay, that's cool. I'm gonna start working in this gym now, and um, it was a. Uh, Probably uh, illegally at the time because I wasn't qualified. Um, but then I started working there, and then uh, when I hit 16, because I was already working in a gym, uh, luckily someone at college who was a, a lecturer knew that I knew my stuff, and he was like, right, okay, well, you're, you're, you're working in the gym. Let's get you on a PT course. You can skip a couple of years. You can um, you can go straight to the last one. We can get you passed. I was like, okay, that's awesome. So I, I did that. And I uh, started uh, PTN at 16, uh, didn't go to university, and uh, I was self-employed. Now, back then, obviously, I was young. I didn't really know much about technique. I got injured uh, pretty soon after starting. I had a bulge disc in L3, 4, and L4, 5. Ouch. So, yeah, yeah, at 16, it's, it's not cool. Um, so I, I know, it's really... right when you're supposed to be impressing the ladies. <laughs> Right, I know. (laughs) So I I couldn't train Mm. and I couldn't really represent what I was supposed to be delivering. Mm. So there's always a certain. Did you feel a certain shame in that secretly? Um. Yeah, and it was hard because Mm. it was it was it was emotionally and mentally challenging because I've had this passion for a, a good year or two and. And then I've got these ambitions and these goals, and then suddenly it gets taken away from me. Mm. And you know, I, I get told that I, sh- I not, shouldn't shouldn't be weight training and all this. And I think, oh damn, like, well, I want to carry on PTing, but I'm I'm working like with some guys which are big, like some big muscly guys, right? And I'm 16, I'm young. I was like nine stone at the time. And I thought, how can I set myself aside from the rest of the team? So. I started thinking about what I could do, what I could control in terms of myself. Since I couldn't train, the only thing what I could really control is nutrition. So I started to experiment with different diets, intermittent fasting, paleo, keto, trialing them all out, research and reading. And it really um, led into becoming my new passion, which was previously training. And 
I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole, started doing a bunch of courses, uh, research, listening to podcasts. And then at the age of 19, I was teaching um, nationally for a, um, a, a chain of gyms and then um, carried on doing well, carried on pushing that. And then at the age of, I think it was... Um, twenty about twenty three. Uh, I was presenting internationally across Europe, uh, Belgium and France, and um, and then so much so. I mean, I'm I'm tw- I'm actually twenty four. Ah, the now. ripe old age yeah. of twenty four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but now it's it's, it's come to the I literally passed uh, stopped uh, PTing one to one the past um, eight months. And uh, I solely focus now on online mentorships, online coaching, but more so my seminars, which I've I've just uh, really uh, recently uh, released the um, the module one of gut health for the functional nutrition, which I've just been arranging this morning for Hong Kong, uh, Dubai, and I've done London, um, and we've got Belgium. So you know it's it's going great, it's going awesome, but it all really stemmed from being injured and mm. learning about what I could do to remediate that, what I could do to control. Uh, myself and um, fortunately from misfortune um, I think it's Napoleon Hill which says uh, um, misfortune often comes misguided as um, uh, opportunity often comes mis- uh, misguided as misfortune That's oh, absolutely I mean how yeah. many times have you heard a mate get um, uh, made redundant at work or whatever and it ends up being the best thing that ever happened to them or you break exactly. up with someone and you think your world's fallen apart and then it turns out yeah. that you meet the love of your life three months later like it just happens yeah. over and over again so yeah I'm a big believer definitely. in that mm. definitely, definitely. sometimes we just need so, to be cracked open to rebuild stronger that's it that is completely it and mm. I mean I'm I'm grateful that I had that injury because I wouldn't be doing what I am doing um, now today but that's basically led me on to um, just doing uh, courses worldwide from people I perceive to be the best in the industry, personal, uh, private internships and mentorships and a lot of podcasts and even more reading. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what's really brought me from um, the start to where I'm here today. Mm. And when you read some of the stuff that you write or you check out your seminars, like it honestly feels like you've done a double medicine degree with how much <laughs> you know and understand, but also what you're able to then translate and actually help people achieve things. You know, knowledge is one thing, but actually being able to apply knowledge and help transfer passion for knowledge, that's a whole nother art. So That's actually a slide in my seminars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. knew that's why we were going to be friends. It. Yeah. So um, so let's just start with how we bonded on Instagram because I think this was quite funny. You talked about, um, I think you were talking about bile one day, as you do, and of course me being me, <laughs> I was mega interested in what um, you were saying about it. And you talked about the need for bitter sprouts, bitter foods, etc., to stimulate bile. Um, yep. and, uh, and then we kind of had a bit of a sprout contest cause me recovering from mold illness and needing to keep my histamine levels in check. I eat a ton of sprouts all the time. Um, so what, is that what you love specifically about sprouts? And can you talk a little bit about how you found them to be a bit of a nutritional superpower? Sure. Well, there's, um, first of all, I, my, my gut health hasn't been the best previously, so 
you know, I tended to shy away from like your typical FODMAP foods. Um, obviously, full exclusion of these will lead to extinction of bifidobacterium, which is a species what we actually really require. You know, it helps us with our body composition. It also helps us produce a GABA, which is the neuros- neurotransmitter responsible for relaxation and sleep. But um, I've been reintroducing them and um, particularly focusing on stuff like bile-stimulating foods like artichoke. Now, I was also looking at um, radish sprouts. Mm. Now, because we, ha- we have like your chicory, your radish, and your artichoke, which are bile-stimulating. And the great, I mean, first of all, bile is heavily underrated. People largely associate it for the digest and assimilation of fats, but it doesn't just, just stop there. You know, we look at it, we need it for the assimilation of ADEK. And then if we look at, okay, vitamin A and vitamin uh, D, we need that for the integrity of our intestines. Mm. And then we could, we could break it down even further. Okay, we look at how do we make our androgens? Well, we make our androgens from cholesterol. Where do we get cholesterol? We get it from fat. So if we have a poor ability to assimilate fat, then we will probably, we can hypothesize, have a decreased ability to produce our cholesterol and then pregnenolone and therefore our androgens, so our mm. testosterone. And and studies kind of show a, um, well, they, they show a, a definite, uh, definitive um, correlation between low fat in the diets and decreased testosterone. But then again, we can hypothesize, well, it doesn't just have to be in your diet, we have to digest and assimilate it. So even if we do have a good level of fat in our diet, if we have poor bile secretion, are we actually getting our desired effect from those fats? Mm, in terms, it's such in a terms big of, thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but it's, um, it's like uh, we focus so much on we've got to have this much of this, we've got to have that much of that, but we're not focusing enough on how we're processing it bio-individually and whether we're actually getting the benefit of all this hard work we're doing to eat wonderful foods. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's not what we eat, but it's what we digest, assimilate, absorb, partition, metabolize, and excrete, mm. and also what we eat, ate. So, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's a lot yes. more than just what we put in on our plate and in our mouths. Yeah. Um, but going back to the sprouts, so, you know, my, my, um, my gut health can, um, can be challenging at times. So, you know, I, I wanted to really support bile continuously. And, you know, like if we look at the typical like artichoke, well, it's a prebiotic vegetable and it's in the FODMAPs, but it's fantastic for bile. So I started looking around, what else can I include? And then radish was there and then I found radish sprouts. And then I started also looking at other types of sprouts. So I particularly use radish sprouts to stimulate my bile. And you can actually place them under your tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for about 10 seconds before consuming it, it can, that can further help with the bile secretions. And Is then that we, because we're setting off an enzymatic chain reaction there? or I believe it's associated with the vagus nerve. Aha, uh-huh. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, I mean, that's just one, like, kind of specific food in the sprout family. We also have broccoli sprouts, which are ridiculously high in sulfurphorin. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just going to nerd out a second. We have um, cruciferous vegetables, yeah. which have um, glucoraphanin, and they also have an enzyme, marrocinase. Now, when we cook foods, it destroys enzymes. Mm. So when we cook our cruciferous vegetables, we destroy the enzyme, marrocinase, but the glucoraphanin is still intact. Now, when we have raw cruciferous vegetables, again, we have to be considerate of any potential issues if someone had any thyroid disorder. Um, but when we have them raw, we we allow 
the myrosinase, which is still intact, to react with the glucoraphanin to produce sulfapharine. Mm-hmm. So the thing is with broccoli sprouts, it's raw. So we're getting that reaction when we consume it. There's, there's tremendously more uh, uh, levels of sulfapharine than we would naturally get in broccoli. Now, on the flip side, what we could actually do is we can get our cruciferous vegetables and we could just chop them up and leave them for 40 minutes to allow that enzymatic reaction for myrosinase and glucoraphanin to produce sulfapharine. So sulfapharine is this amazing oh so this is why we can chop garlic and leave it for a bit and then cook it and then it's okay is that right yes yes the the garlic uh, allows the mix from uh, i think it's alinin to alicin Mm. Uh, i can't remember the specific pronunciation of those words but it's something similar to that but this is this is similar it just allows for the enzymatic reactions and um and with sulfurine it's it's an incredible inducer of phase two in our detoxification system. So we, 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 if we just look at phase one and phase two, we want to balance these out. Now, if we have, let's use the um, analogy of we're, we're trying to tidy up, okay? And we have uh, people ripping off the wallpaper inside of the room, you know, because you're redecorating. But we have too many people ripping off the wallpaper and not enough people trying to get the, the, the wallpaper off the floor and all, all this rubbish out of the room, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's usually the case. Our phase one is too fast and we're, we're, we're stripping these toxins and making them more bioavailable in our body, but our phase two is usually too slow. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we can suffer from this, this increased toxic load, but what we actually want to do is slow down the rate of phase one and speed up phase two so we have better management of the whole system. Now, that's what sulfuring does. It helps balance out phase one, phase two. It's also really good for um, managing inflammation within our brain, neuroprotection. It can also help with uh, stimulation of BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. So again, the, the health of our brain. And it's really good for estrogen management too. Now, in terms of sulfuring, if, if we don't have the time or if if we we haven't actually cut up our vegetables and left it. <laughs> yeah, I'm minutes. just about to, I was just thinking yeah. that through. I'm thinking, okay, everybody, we're just going to have dinner a bit late tonight because I'm just going exactly. to cut this broccoli and let it sit there. I'm yeah. sure all the kids would be thrilled. <laughs> so it's, it's not a practical thing, mm. is it? So, but what we could actually do is put some mustard seed powder onto the um, onto the vegetable. Ah, it's and this is why seed. Indian cooking, Ayurvedic approach, is so powerful with all of these wonderful spices, right? That's it. And also, in terms of the spices, that's because of um, in um, in history, uh, the the means of preserving food was not that good. Mm. So therefore, um, using more spices acted more to regulate the parasites and the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, I did not know that about the history of spices. That's yeah. super cool. Um, okay, cool. So do you have anything more to tell me about sprouts or can I jump into something else? Um, I'll just quickly add, there's also fenugreek sprouts, mm-hmm. which are quite good, and they'll be great for um, modulating beta-glucuronidase expression, which is an enzyme which can, in short, basically prevent you from eliminating your estrogen as effectively. It's used in other functions like the... Um, it's, it's, it's essential for breaking down some, some carbohydrate structures. It's also essential for the um, absorption of uh, lignans such as flax or flavonoids and also the DGL bond of uh, the specific type of licorice which can aid in uh, reducing mucosal inflammation within our gut. So we do need beta-glucuronidase. However, it can become, um, it can become um, 
quite dominant. So therefore, fenugreek, uh, fenugreek sprouts, if someone does have symptoms of IBS and a high estrogen profile, will probably be good for them. Oh, wow. Fab. And, um, you know, this is something I'm working on at the moment because I'm big on reducing my plastic packaging and sprouts always comes in uh, plastic packaging, whether it's a punnet, whether it's a little um, Ziploc bag. And so we're actually working on building a pallet garden to, um, to grow our sprouts and to rotate them through. Um, nice. And, uh, and there's so much great information. So I'll actually include that in the show notes and, uh, and you can follow my adventures when I get going with it in a couple of weeks when I'm back from a bit of book tour traveling. But I'm really pumped to do it. And, it, I mean, the sky's the limit on all these different little sprouts and the magic they hold. So, um, so yeah, I'm really excited. Um, now, Jake, I want to talk about some of the hidden impacts of the modern-day lifestyle on health. And I know you have so much to say here. I have so much to say here. So let's just jump in. What should we start with? Um, probably, uh, I'd say non-native electromagnetic frequencies would be a great one to start with because we're, we're consistently exposed to this, uh, mm -hmm. but yet there is a lack of education and awareness to the detrimental effects. So this one would be a good, good place to start. Yeah, cool. And when you say non-native, that means you're talking about man-built man stuff that we surround ourselves with. That's it, yeah. So basically, we have our phones, we have our laptops, we even have our Wi-Fi. Mm. And this emits a certain frequency, which can cause a lot of issues within the body. Yeah. So, I mean, st studies have shown that in mice, the non-native electromagnetic frequencies have, have led to birth abnormalities and also miscarriages. And again, in mice, it's also been shown to decrease testosterone without any change to luteinizing hormone, which was the kind of initial trigger for the production of testosterone. Um, it's also been shown to induce a leaky blood-brain barrier mm -hmm. and also increase the utilization of glucose in the brain, which is associated to cancer. So, you know, it has this impact across the whole spectrum. And even in, in rabbits, it increased heart arrhythmia and increased blood pressure when they're exposed to uh, 2.4 gigahertz of Wi-Fi. So we, we're continuously exposed to these frequencies. You know, we don't switch our Wi-Fi off before going to bed. We charge our phones next to our head at nighttime. We have our phones in our pockets all day, every day. You know, we, we now have cars with Bluetooth in. We have um, people which live in high-rise buildings if they live in a city. Well, you're just exposed to all the different Wi-Fis and phones and frequencies from not just yourself, but upstairs, downstairs, and your neighbors. But that's accompanied with a lack of ground in what that individual will have because they're so far away from the Earth's biomagnetic pull. Mm, absolutely. And then there's the rubber soles that have come in in the last century instead of leather soles or um, walking around barefoot. And that has a huge effect on, um, on us not being able to ground effectively. And, I mean, do you feel like uh, if we could ground ourselves a little bit more every day – that we would be able to mitigate some of the harm of this non-native EMF? Yes, definitely. I mean, like, I didn't know that about the rubber uh, soles mm. and shoes. That's awesome. Yeah, got like, switch well, back actually, to leather. Go old school. Yeah. Mm. Like, I actually get outside first thing in the morning um, when I have a cup of coffee, and I'll stand in my garden with no no socks or shoes on, and I'm, I'm deliberately grounding there because my feet's connected with the grass. Now, if the grass has a little bit of dew, a little bit of uh, wetness to it, it's going to help conduct that um, 
that grounding much more effectively. Or it would be even better if you were to stand in a, a lake or a sea and watch the sun rise mm. you know, because it's going to help audit our biosecadian rhythms. Now, by getting that morning sunlight exposure, and I'll try to be a little bit cold at the same time, it can really help with certain uh, gene transcriptions such as SIRT1, which is essential really for switching off the aging kind of processes. So it helps reduce obesity, uh, it helps um, reduce inflammation, fat synthesis, storage, and it helps... Uh, aid in blood sugar management so mm. just by standing outside getting your getting your uh, toes nice and cold and wet if you can uh, on the ground and getting some sunlight exposure getting a little bit cold that's going to be great for auditing the biosecadian rhythm which is the body's natural sleep wake cycle and that doesn't just mean when you go to sleep but also that all the genes and other factors which are involved with that amazing and so what do you do as a northern english um, men, uh, in the super cold months when it doesn't, the sort of sun doesn't come up for until late and, um, and it's like impractical to get out there. Do you just, just still go out there and get barefoot anyway? I, I, I do. I get uh, the cold exposure is great. You see mm. the cold exposure is also a really good thing, uh, because it, again, that does a number of different stuff like it increases norepinephrine. It helps stimulate brown adipose tissue, which can help act to be more, uh, stimulate more thermogenesis. So we can mm. actually support metabolism further. But yeah, I just getting outside, getting that oxygen, getting that grounding, even if there isn't sunlight, well, there's still a lot of other boxes what we're ticking there. But yeah, yeah cool. in Manchester, there isn't any sun. It's just one big cloud. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. And a cold yeah. cloud most of the year. But but we're yeah. all good with that. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, EMFs. And I love that you mentioned those simple things like, um, you know, I'll, I'll state the opposite, which is turning off your modem when you do go to bed, charging your phone in the kitchen rather than by your head in the bedroom and putting your phone on airplane mode if it comes with you into the bedroom. Um, and what do you have any other tips that you regularly coach clients through? Uh, they're the main ones. The Getting main the ones. phone out of the pocket, gents. That's an important one too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, okay. What's next? What's another hidden impact that you really like to talk about? So we've got a lot of environmental pollutants. And yes, we, we do. Really <laughs> go into this. Yeah. So, I mean, we're we're uninformed from the government about the actual detrimental effects of these. I mean, it's been shown to affect our genetic expression of obesity genes, such as a nuclear transcription factors and PPAR, which enables us to actually regulate and uh, utilize our glucose and our fats effectively. Um, they, they've been shown to alter the regulation of uh, metabolism and hormone uh, homeostasis in the pancreas, thyroid, adrenals, and liver. It has direct effects on our uh, sympathetic nervous system and neurotransmitters. And then if we could really, we can actually start to break it down and look at all this stuff. And mm. we, we know that, well, strawberry crops, 99% of them contain pesticides. Yeah. And then we could look at stuff like the PCBs, which there was um, an estimated 1.3 million pounds of different types of PCBs dumped into the River Hudson um, between 1946 and 1977 when they were banned. And these have actually been found in the breast milk of Inuit women. So far on the other side of the world, this is actually in the breast milk being fed to newborn babies. And the PCBs are carcinogenic, they affect our hormones, they affect development. And we can look at fish and farmed salmon, it can be that abundant in PCBs. It can take us up to 10 years to actually eliminate them from our system. Mm. 
And so how do we feel positive when we hear stuff like that? Because this is a huge challenge, I think, as educators in this space to not, um, you know, to not alarm the crap out of people to the point where people freeze up and feel like, oh, my gosh, we're doomed. Everything's trying to kill us. Yeah. So basically it's, it's more the level of awareness mm. so with environmental pollutants okay there's, there's loads of things what we can be doing okay so avoid um, farm salmon pacific salmon go for wild alaskan salmon or even better go for trout mm. because it has a, a much lesser mercury profile along with better ratios of um, essential fatty acids mm. and then we could go for more of the clean 15 which is a classification of different vegetables which are very minimalistic in their pesticide exposure as opposed to the dirty dozen which are 12 different vegetables which are laden in pesticides and if we were to consume these then it would be much more beneficial for us if we could go for organic or locally sourced and then we could still look at this further okay right so we then we have the water we could we could look at certain filters or we could buy bottled water and then we could make sure we're not going to buy bottled water are we because that's single-use plastic Yes, that's the thing. So, but you can get some um, bottled waters now in, in glass. That's so true, actually. Yeah, yeah. I saw that in um, in Whole Foods in uh, the States when I was there. There were many more glass options, which is yeah. great when traveling. But then again, it's like expensive recycling stuff. Big fan yeah. of the filters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and we've got stuff like making sure we don't exercise outdoors in busy traffic. Mm. You know, inhalation of the uh, toxins, what we would potentially accumulate there. So would you so say you... it's better to then go to the gym if you live in a, in, in a CBD situation? Mm, um, pro- um, if you were going to be running outside, let's say at rush hour time, mm. I, I would prefer individuals to go to the gym. Yeah. Uh, just with the gym, we have the potential mold exposure from the aircon systems. Yeah. Of the, of the humidity and the mold formation, but it's going. I personally think that would be much better than running outside on a busy road. Yeah, gotcha, cool. Mm. And yeah. um, and in terms of, I mean, you know, with the pollutants, our, our beautiful low tox community are quite well across that, and we've talked about it quite a bit in the show. But I know there are a couple that you want to talk about. So before we move on, let's let's hit those. Yeah, so we've got uh, BPA as well because you've you've been um, quite mm. fond of uh, addressing the uh, plastic issues. So BPA, bisphenol A, is an endocrine disrupting compound which can affect the nuclear translocation of testosterone, so it can stop it from working as effectively. It can actually act as an androgen receptor antagonist, so it stops it from binding to the receptors and working it effectively. And it's also been shown to enhance estrogen alpha receptors. Uh, with the nuclear formation up to a hundredfold higher than usual. Wow. So it, it can stop the testosterone from being um, as functional or recepted, and it can dramatically increase the expressions and the activity of our estrogen, that accompanied with being heavily carcinogenic and related to breast cancer. So, you know, we have one side, we have the, the cancerous issues and the issues with the estrogen, but then we also have the issues on body composition and performance too. Mm. So again, so it's not all doom and gloom. What can we do? We do have glass lunch boxes. We, if you don't have a glass lunch box, please let your food cool down before you put it into a plastic one. Mm. We also have uh, avoiding drinking from um, 
plastic bottles. Even if it's BPA-free, there's still other compounds which could be uh, uh, residing in there, like BPS and other other carcinogens. Absolutely, and, we, and they're starting uh, to come out as being just as harmful, if not worse. Exactly, exactly. And and we even have um, cling film, so avoid using cling film and... Um, you know, just just basically stay uh, pretty clear from plastic. If you can, use glass. Mm. It's, I mean, it's we've all just been through Plastic Free July, so everyone's pretty ninja on this front. But, right. you know, I always say every, there's someone out there who's starting for the very first day to be curious about all this stuff. So you can just never say it enough, right? No, that, mm. that, that's true, yeah. And so um, in terms of uh, there are so many places I want to go with this chat and I'm conscious of the fact that we are nearly halfway through already. So can I lead us into talking about gut health? Sure. Yeah. So um, obviously there, there just seems to be every second person has a gut issue, whether they're constipated, whether they're going to the loo too much, whether they've got gallbladder pain, reflux, heartburn, um, you know, allergies, intolerance, you name it. There are a bazillion digestive issues these days. And I, I feel like something that I've seen you do is kind of focus on all these different little boxes to tick and little aspects of the digestive journey, if you like, that we can hone in on, focus on, fine tune, upgrade to make everything work um, a heck of a lot better, even when there are bio-individual concerns, different genetics, etc. And I'd love for you to just take us through some of your your key tips when you're working in your coaching sessions with clients and digestion is an issue. Where do you start with people and what kind of a journey do you take them on to making sure everything's working well? Yeah, so digestion is absolutely paramount for any physiological response in the body because it's actually how we obtain our nutrients from our food and it's the nutrients which dictates the language of our cells. Mm. So if we have poor digestion, we'll have poor assimilation and utilization of this nutrients and therefore every system in the body will be at a shortfall. Yeah. So it is key to assess uh, in the initial stages for sure. And if the digestive system is out of whack, other systems will be too. So I like to go through an initial um, physiological biofeedback screening form. It's, it's, it's a lot of um, subjective questions. However, they uh, it's first of all, it's easy to use, it's non-invasive, and it's free. So therefore, it's not going to cost the individual a lot of money uh, as opposed to if they were going to do a GI map or a CSAPX2, which are certain stool tests. Mm. So yeah. from this yeah, it's like it's, it's going to help us give direction. You know, it's going to say how severe is this gut health? Can we remediate it through uh, nutraceuticals and food, or do we have to do further investigating? Now, there's 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 a lot of certain questions which can correlate to either um, dysbiosis or issues with the microbiome, small intestines, hypoacidity, um, hyperacidity, low bile secretion, uh, issues with the colon. Um, so th there's a lot what you can actually do just by listening to your body, listening to your symptoms, because your symptoms are your best friend. Most people victimize them and blame mm. the symptom. Oh, I've got a bad stomach. Well, that's your body's way of communicating to you to say, look, something's not 
quite right inside your digestive system. I'm trying to give you out some red flags so you can remediate it before it manifests as a disease or a dysfunction or gets worse. So they really are your best friends and we just need to listen to them and work with them. Mm. But there's, there's a lot of things what people can do which are non-invasive and it doesn't require money and it's the largely lifestyle uh, kind of practice, uh, practices which can aid in digestion. So I should we go through some- this. Yes, let's go through some of these because so often on the internet we're just told to do another big expensive biomedical test um, you know, and then see another $500 an hour specialist or integrative doctor and there is absolutely a time and a place for those things to occur. But I, I mean, you know, there is so much we can do first, right? To really just, you know, listen to our own bodies and fine tune. Definitely. So, so the first thing first is making sure we're not consuming foods which are going to be problematic for us. Mm. So, you know, again, people respond differently, but eliminating gluten and wheat would be my first part of call. Now, gluten has been largely associated to neurological effects. They did um, studies and found roughly uh, between 20 and 25% of patients with schizophrenia had um, had gluten antibodies, alpha-gliadin antibodies present. And we, we know that gluten can actually lead to stuff like uh, gluten ataxia, so the loss of neuromuscular uh, control and movement. And it's been linked to issues with uh, tryptophan and depression. So, mm. you know, even if you don't have any conscious mal effects, which is affecting the gut, it may be affecting the brain. And it's worth avoiding anyway, in my eyes. Now, the next is wheat. So both of these, gluten and wheat, are pro-inflammatory. And they will cause inflammation to rise and can induce what we know as leaky gut. And gluten can also cause issues with the zonulin, which will open up the tight junction proteins to further allow this um, this permeation of undigested food, toxins, or pathogens through into our bloodstream, which will result in a systemic response where inflammation rises. Right. Now, and, you know, so removing these triggers are going to be great, but we also have to take into account each person's individual response for nightshades because they're rich in glycoalkaloids, uh, potentially FODMAPs if they have issues with the digestion of the short-chain carbohydrates, maybe even lectins or oxalates too. So, you know, understanding these classifications of foods, looking at them, and self-assessing. See, see if you are having any issues, any bloating. You could even assess your rest and heart rate and see if that raises over 10 beats per minute, roughly three to five minutes after the meal. Yes, there, this is questionable and it's subjective because if you have increased thermogenesis from the food, the heart rate will increase. But it's a nice free functional test. Mm, now, that's so interesting because when I had – at the height of my mold illness – if I ate histamine high or histamine containing foods, my heart rate would go through the roof after a meal for a good two, three hours. Yes. I mean, I've, I've got histamine issues too. Uh, so, you know, like stuff like um, spinach, uh, tomatoes, um, Ian, we've got vinegar, foods that have been cooked for longer than 24 hours, spoiled fish. I've got to be really careful with these. Mm. And um, even citrus fruits can be histamine liberators, which can potentially cause issues. So yeah, definitely. I mean, there's also for histamine, whilst we're just on the subject, there, there is a potential correlation between the uh, three finger scratch test where you scratch your stomach, wait uh, zero to 20 seconds and see if red lines appear. Um, just give, yeah. So again, it's just any time or after a meal. Um, well, we always have histamine present, so it, it has many functions within our body and anything in our body isn't necessarily bad. It's there for a reason. It relies on context, but Usually, if, if 
we have issues with histamine. It could be DAO or histamine and methyltransferase, where we're not degrading the intracellular or extracellular levels of histamine. It, it will still be present, but you could also do it after a meal. There's no specific time of day usually when I would do it, but the red lines would be associated to the mismanaged inflammation or the, the hypervigilant inflammation, what we actually are secreting in response to a minimal threat. Now, Going back to the start, sorry, I, I, I go well into the details. I could just go off track. No, no, but, that's um, okay. Can I can I just recap there? Because I think that's quite a cool test. So we scratch our tummies for a few seconds, like what, 10 seconds? Uh, just three times, just three times. Just One, three two, times. Three. And Genesis, if Genesis. red lines appear where our fingernails went across, then that means we're, not, we're having a hypervigilant response to um, inflammation. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. right. Gotcha. Which can be then associated to histamine. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Mm. Yeah. So moving on, so we've got the foods, the triggers. Then we can look at um, our uh, sympathetic state, our parasympathetic state. And usually people in a state of sympathetic dominance, which is flight and fight mode from stresses. That doesn't just mean emotional stress, yeah. but physiological stresses too. So we really want to put our body into a state of parasympathetic uh, tone really and regulation because this is going to aid what is known as the cephalic stage of digestion which actually happens just from the thoughts the the, the, the smell even the, the texture of food can stimulate digestion it's believed to make up 20 percent of it mm, so, so, which is why we need to take time to eat Exactly. That's mm. it. And mindfulness. Mm. So a lot of um, re uh, religions and cultures will have either ceremonies or do prayer before food. And this is an act of mindfulness mm. and gratitude, which will change that kind of stress response. And we, we have stuff like practicing guided relaxation. So there's the app called Headspace, or we could even listen to uh, Delta stimulating binaural beats. But we also have um, the environment what we're in is, is absolutely key too. So if we consistently work at our office or desk, that's going to create an, uh, an environmental stimuli to being aroused because we need to be slightly aroused and thinking when we're working. And if we then eat at the desk, well, our body's not going to be in that favorable state for digestion because practice makes permanent, not perfect. So we're going to be in this state of arousal. So actually having a separate eating zone and a working zone and even a sleeping zone is going to help just attune that physiological response, what we desire. Mm, gotcha. So I work from um, a home office situation and I try to, most days I do this, um, move to the balcony to have my lunch and uh, not be at the desk. Um, and I just find that that also just clears the head of all those have-tos and the inbox and the things I want to get done that day and really just lets me focus on the meal. Um, great tip. So simple, but so often we just don't think about how simple it can be. Exactly. I mean, I've, I've got a student in Dubai and he's, he's living in a um, just a studio apartment. Uh, he's, he's saying since he moved there, his digestion's not been that good. I'm like, all right, okay, mm -hmm. so where do you work? It's on the sofa. Where do you eat on the sofa? I was like, hmm, what do you look at when you're eating? He goes, brick wall. Now, this can also have an influence on our endocrine system. And we associate red... Bloom's going to be more calming. He's getting that oxygen there too. And his digestion improved just from doing what you did there. So going onto the balcony and eating in a different area. 
Wow, amazing. And can you just repeat what you said about red? Because you just cut out on the call and I'm like, no, I want to know what we associate red with. So we associate it with warning. Mm -hmm. So we see a red light, we stop. We see a warning sign, it's red. So when we see this color, uh, it stimulates that kind of warning response, which can can increase our stress response. Which means we're not digesting well. Exactly, because we're going to be in a state of flight and fight rather than rest and digest. Amazing. So we need to surround ourselves with blue. Yeah, yeah. To eat. Uh, I love it. Another practice is diaphragmatic breathing. Mm -hmm. Because most people have an inverted breathing pattern. You know, we're stressed. So our superior trapezius, our traps, the muscles near our neck, get tight as a self-safety mechanism to basically pull in our shoulders, round them over to protect our vital organs, be it our heart and our lungs. Because when our body's stressed, it can't differentiate between this, the stressor. It just reacts in the same way. So if we are continuously experiencing a, um, stress on a daily basis, it's going to create this self-safety mechanism to protect ourselves. And this is going to make the traps even higher, uh, mm. even tighter. And that's wow. going to pull the shoulders forward. And then this is going to make them more dominant. And then by making them more dominant, it actually are used in the mechanical aspects of breathing, which prevents our diaphragm from working as effectively. And it also creates more shallow breathing too, which leads to more norepinephrine, which also feeds the stress response. But we need our diaphragm to be working so we can shunt our our blood to our digestive organs. Gotcha. Wow. That's huge. So, So doing that through the nose will help stimulate the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the, the parasympathetic system, and we can help aid our digestive response because we're in a, a lesser stress state and we are also shunting blood towards our digestive organs. Gotcha. Very interesting. And, um, and you mentioned humming for 20 seconds before a meal. What's that about? So, yeah, humming is going to help stimulate the vagus nerve. Yeah. Now... Gargling can actually be too much uh, stimulation for the vagus nerve and, and result in um, histamine secretions. Oh, okay, right. So just humming it is more gentle and you can just do it for 10 to 20 seconds prior to a meal and it can help stimulate the vagus nerve. So we do a good old-fashioned yoga, yogic om before we have dinner together. Is that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Honestly, if you have an excess of stress, then it's going to lead to issues with the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And it can become dysfunctional. The vagus nerve connects the gut to the brain. It connects it to, to many other organs and systems. And this is why it's called the vagus nerve, because it's classed as the wanderer. Now, too much stress will create dysfunction here, and then that can lead to issues with our, um, our peristalsis, the movement of food through our digestive organs. But it can also, um, we also need the vagus nerve to allow the parietal cells to stimulate HCL too. HDL being um, hydrochloric acid, acid, right? That's it, yeah, which we need to digest our food. Yeah. But we need HCL, uh, stomach acid, to convert pepsinogen to pepsin, which is a protein digestive enzyme. We also need it to release uh, vitamin B12 from food. And the parietal cells, which are in the stomach, which secrete this stomach acid, also release intrinsic factor, which protect it from being digested, but also uh, attach 
itself to the surface of the ileum for um, the absorption of B12. Mm. Isn't it interesting that we go down all these rabbit holes of thinking we need every supplement under the sun just to function, and sometimes in our lives we're going to need supplementation. That's absolutely fine. Um, and, you know, genetically some of us might need to be on long-term supplementation. But what I find really interesting about everything you just have shared there is that there are some seriously basic things that we can do um, that get all of this stuff going. And as you mentioned each thing, I was like, there's a supplement for that, there's a supplement for that, there's a supplement for that. And actually, if we just build some really rock-solid preparatory habits before we sit down or in the way that we sit down and what we're in front of when we sit down, we're literally setting ourselves up, our bodies up, to do all the things it's meant to do. Yeah, I mean, there's so many more as well, Mm. you know, like we can, if we look at food intolerances and our digestion, people uh, overeat foods or they eat too fast or they don't even chew the food Mm. and we we need to chew our food and studies have shown chewing your food 40 times uh, results in more cholecystic kinin, which is going to help induct more satiety, so the feeling of fullness, but we also need that cholecystic kinin to release pancreatic enzymes and bile Mm. and the more we chew, the less hungry we are and the less sweet cravings. But also the more we chew, we allow the, the, the mixture of our own RNA and DNA from our saliva with the food to reduce any possible um, food intolerance reactions. Wow. So we could literally be um, rushing ourselves into food intolerances. De- definitely, definitely. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? So- Mm. I mean, there's, there's, I don't know how much more time we've got, but there's a, a few <laughs> Go more. for it, Jake. We're nerds. Yeah, cool. If you've got more to say, yeah. do it. Oh, I've got a lot. <laughs> so like, like you mentioned about mold, mm. you had mold, mold issues, right? Yeah. So we, we know that uh, mold is prevalent on uh, nuts, grains, seeds, um, chocolate, uh, be, uh, co- cocoa beans and um, coffee yeah. because these are, these are grown in developing countries where their um, hygiene isn't the best and usually these developing countries where they're grown, it's in warm, humid climates yes. and, and all these foods have a long shelf life. So they're stored in warehouses where it's humid mm. and this develops mold. So what we can actually do is soak the nuts, the grains, the seeds overnight to uh, help reduce that uh, mold exposure. And then mold isn't just from the food what we eat, but it's also in our atmosphere. So we can make sure we don't have mold in the house, making sure it's ventilated. We could even look at having dehumidifying plants such as a Boston fern or even better, a spider plant in the house or the office because this can help reduce the humidity in the atmosphere. And spider, spider plants have also been shown to reduce formaldehyde too. Wow, isn't that amazing? And, you know, just again, these are not requiring any massive biochem- biomedical tests, no expensive doctors. Uh, we're literally buying plants and chewing more. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that's yeah, the coolest thing about it. And as I said before, there's always a place for both in different times of life and chronic and acute care and all those sorts of things. But I just I, I find it fascinating how easy it is to just come back to what's good and true and feels right which is bringing um, nature into our homes which is chewing well which is sitting down in front of people we love instead of in front exactly. of a blue screen computer and uh, yeah just on and on we go right yeah I mean the, the, there's so much we can do and it makes clear sense really it's just about relaxing and paying attention being mindful and 
actually doing the process what we're, we're trying to do yeah you know so so many people suffer from um constipation these days have you got any sort of little digestive um, magic that you can share with us to sort that out sure well and first of all can i just speak about constipation for a couple of minutes yeah go for it so constipation isn't just an issue of you're not excreting your food mm. because we're actually going to have the um we're going to dramatically increase the production of uh, bad bacteria within our gut because it's allowing the fermentation uh, of this bacteria to basically grow and proliferate off the food contents, what you have residing in there. And this will lead to a number of issues because obviously within our gut, we produce over 66% of our neurotransmitters, the chemical brain messengers. We have anywhere from 70 to 80% of our immune system. And we also need it to be functional to prevent inflammation, which would therefore, if that becomes dysregulated, it will lead to a, a a massive cascade of unpreferable changes in our body. Mm. And with constipation, we're going to reabsorb some of our used hormones too. So we can Mm. reabsorb these estrogens and it gets sent to the liver. The liver notifies there's this accumulation of these hormones and it thinks, okay, we're producing too many hormones. What can we do? So it sees the thyroid uh, as uh, what sets the metabolic pace of the body and it can actually result in increased thyroid binding globulin. Not just this, but it can also lead to increased levels of sex hormone binding globulin. Now, thyroid binding globulin will render a lot, so big, big amount of your thyroid hormones inactive, your T4 inactive, mm-hmm. and that will have an impact on your metabolism and your energy. And then the sex hormone binding globulin, this can bind onto your hormones and render them inactive too. So, you, you know, it's, it's not just important for our gut health, but also our hormone function. Now, Issues with constipation can occur from a lack of fiber, uh, and it can also occur from too much stress. Mm. So, so some some good things what you can do here are, are um, stimulating the vagus nerve because that's going to help regulate peristalsis. So we have the humming. We also have diaphragmatic breathing, which is going to be great. We also have ma- uh, massaging our stomach because if we have long term gut related issues, this is going to create localized inflammation within the gut, mm. and this can this can have um, an effect on the nearby tissues and create adhesions and create uh, dysfunctions in the uh, the actual uh, muscular system. So therefore, if we have long-term dysbiosis or issues with parasites or anything like this, it can actually create these knots in our in our muscles in our midsection, which prevent the optimal process of peristalsis. So actually, a uh, brazen these out so you could actually use um, I use a jade stone tool mm-hmm. uh, which I've got from Amazon which is great but you can use different things here I mean it's fairly cheap but actually just scraping the uh, the stomach to make sure that there isn't any adhesions and then also having your um, um, stimulating your vagus nerve and doing diaphragmatic breathing they're all good practices now some people say this works, some people say it doesn't, but magnesium citrate has been shown in some cases to support um, digestion and act as a laxative. So this would also be something to possibly include. But I think the key thing is to make sure the individual isn't overly stressed. Mm, right. Okay. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> um, and so then in terms of um, like – long term is it really just about coming back to those habits that we've talked about already to um i guess mitigate constipation prevent it um like you know i'm just conscious that people might be listening and then thinking yeah that's not going to work for me or i've tried that before like 
I just feel like it's such a complex problem. Um, yeah. Have we covered everything that you've got on it? No, I mean, like, we've got fermented foods, which are going to be key. So yeah. we, we want to make sure we have a, a good um, level of bacteria, beneficial bacteria, when inside our, our digestive system. So mm. eating kimchi, kefir, sauerkraut, kombucha, uh, this is, this is going to be great to allow better uh, diversity and density of the microbiome, which will also assist with this too. Yeah, great. And, yeah. and so in terms of... Um, our, our gut health, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about here, well, not gut health, but more digestive overall, was um, the fact that a lot of people feel like, you know, in the age where everyone sort of, it seems like so many people are being told that we have to hit the ketogenesis, go high fat, very low carb, etc. especially if you want to lose weight, especially if you want a clear brain. And look, I think there's a place for that. And it seems to really work in certain cases and cases of brain cancer and um, people with epilepsy. I know we talked about that in our pre-chat. Um, but, you know, it's it feels like the, the gallbladder is often not set up for success when it comes to high fat and that some people just don't seem to thrive too well on high fat diets. And is that because we're, um, there's something wrong that we need to fine tune before we go there? Or is it just as simple as this bio-individual argument that, that certain different diets are going to work for certain different people? That's it. Everyone is completely individual. So mm. if we take uh, myself as a case study, yeah. uh, TCM, I've got adhesions across my meridian line, so uh, um, on my uh, subscap and uh, in my knee. Uh, and then um, when I did blood work originally, before any intervention, my bilirubin was twice that of the higher limit. And bilirubin, for the people who don't know what that is? That's the breakdown of hemoglobin, which we need bile to bind onto and eliminate out the body. Gotcha. Yep. And um, it, on my um, subjective screening form, I mean, I scored ridiculously high, which correlates to issues with uh, bile. Mm -hmm. And also my, my genes have uh, the gene APOE4, which stops me from actually utilizing saturated fats that well. Mm. So, you know, it, it goes across the board in, in ancient uh, medicine on blood work and DNA and on, on subjective data that I'm not that good with fats mm. so I actually respond better to a lower fat diet and if I was to have fats I'd have more medium chain triglycerides which mm. are an easier form to digest yeah now I mean in terms of gut health we know that sometimes a high-fat diet can allow the translocation of lipopolysaccharides through the gut wall and lipopolysaccharides are basically the the um, the exo kind of shell of um, bacteria, and it, it is the the most inflammatory thing known to man. So if we did have a lot of die-off from addressing any microbial issues, we're going to produce thousands, up to millions of lipopolysaccharides per cell death. And if we were doing a, um, a keto diet or a high-fat diet uh, when we were addressing a lot of bad bacteria, we could potentially allow this permeation of these lipopolysaccharides through the gut wall and into the bloodstream, which create a lot of issues. But that being said, on the other end of the spectrum, going low-carb will basically cut off their food supply and um, prevent them from pro proliferating and growing as strongly. So, you know, it is, there's, it's absolutely based on the individual. Mm. So... We could even look at, like you said, epilepsy. People do better with ketogenic diets, whereas if someone is under a high load of stress, got depression or a reverse cortisol curve, or has issues sleeping at night, that should be better with carbohydrates at night because of the, the increased production of serotonin whilst with the suppression of cortisol. 
Mm. And so how do people, because this is a huge one for things, and I still remember when I launched our Real Food Rockstars course back in 2015 and everyone arrived and they were like, okay, so when are we going to get the meal plan that tells us exactly what to eat? And I was like, sorry, guys, the bad news is we are actually just going to learn about whole foods, where they come from, how to shop, how to get motivated in the kitchen, how to reconnect with what foods suit your body and what foods don't. And then you actually have to figure out what to eat yourself. And that exactly. was a really um, a confronting thing for people to do in 2015 when we were still very much in the age of being moved on from one product protocol fad to the next. Um, but I'm, I'm really um, pleased to hear that you have that same sort of, you've ended up in that same place where it's like, hold on, there are many reasons why different foods suit different folks. Yeah. I mean, if you're not assessing, you're only guessing, right? Mm. So we, we have to understand the individual uh, through as many different screening platforms as possible, like I previously mentioned, potentially DNA, TCM, blood work, subjective questions, just to gather as much information as possible so we could have a good direction with what to work with. Yeah. And and so when we're trialing this for ourselves and, and doing our own N equals one kind of experiments, what kind of timeframes do you usually allow for self-experimentation to see whether something fits you or not? And, and what do you recommend to clients? Well, I, I really recommend um, assessing prior mm-hmm. just so you've got a good direction with what to go with. Yeah. You know, like, so say if, say if you um, have poor cognition, brain fog after high fat foods or you get water retention or you don't digest fats that well or you have like stuff like nuts and seeds potentially in your stool or you have a mucosal film on the water after passing stool or you have pains in your, the, the, around your shoulder blade. Um then, you know, it's probably worth thinking, okay, my bowel might not be that good, so I could implement more more bitter herbs like um, artichoke and chicory and radish. We'll probably look at taking ox bile, probably reduce my fat intake or uh, uh, probably shift it more towards um, uh, MCTs or polyunsaturated fats mm. and avoid saturated fats as much. And I could even look at having stuff like rosemary and dandelion and chamomile tea. Cool. And then, if and then on the flip side, you know, for proteins and stuff, if mm. if we have abdominal bloating, if we're again listening to your body, do we have any indigestion, digestion issues, uh, difficulties when we have a lot of protein? Do we have weak fingernails? Do we uh, belch immediately after meals? Because these would all be signs of low HCL, and we need that HCL to digest that protein effectively. And then, lastly, for the carbohydrates. If we, if we suffer from reactive hypoglycemia, so we feel tired after carbs, or if we have a, a lot of truncal obesity, or if, um, if we uh, need sweet foods after meals, then these are all signs that we, we probably aren't really using those sugars, those, that glucose from those carbs as effectively. So in that case, probably improving our insulin function and reception is going to be great. And how would you recommend, um, what are a couple of tips you have around improving our insulin? Sure. So um, reducing the, um, the volume of carbs is mm. good. Space out is going to be great. It, as much exercise as possible can stimulate GLUT4 receptors, which can help pull the glucose in, into the muscle cells. Mm-hmm. And also using stuff like cinnamon, which can help activate the GLUT4. It's rich in chromium as well, which is going to aid in glucose disposal. And also using fenugreek, because that can actually inhibit sucrase and amylase which will slow down the digestion of carbs oh and it there can we also... are with our fenugreek sprouts again yeah yeah there you go and it can also aid with the um secretion of insulin from the uh, beta cells in the pancreas 
So cool. Jake, I feel like we could talk for another three hours. So can I bring yeah. you back for a part two? Would that be okay? Definitely. I'd love to. Awesome. Love to. So I'm going to finish up with a question for you then based on some of the lifestyle factors we talked about and obviously digestion and all these different areas of a d- digestion that need our attention to work well, as well as that bio-individual need for different foods for different people. If you had to send people off with just three things that they could do after today's chat to move forward in these areas and in their health, what would you pick as the biggest impacts? I'd say valuing and prioritizing sleep is going to be key. Mm -hmm. The next, I'd say eat a variety of plants and polyphenols. And the last one is to be happy. To be happy. Tell me how you arrived at that one personally. Okay, so if... you're, You're a product of your environment and you're the average of the five people you spend your most time with. So... You know, depending on what you have around you, what your environment is, it could be either positively or negatively affecting you. And we need to assess our environment, make sure it's nurturing to our goals, our health, our individual life, and um, making sure we're doing something each day which we actually enjoy, a hobby and spending time with loved ones, because this will decrease the stress. This can increase, and once we once we decrease stress, we have more control over every system within our body, you know, especially digestion. But most people, you could be the happiest person on the, uh, the sorry, the healthiest person on the world, but if you're not happy, then you know it's not really the best thing, is it? No, that's right. Which is exactly how I arrived at low tox life being about food, home, body and mind because, you know, you can – I remember going down the food rabbit hole and then going, wow, and then thinking, oh, hold on, what am I putting on myself? Hold on, what am I surrounding myself with in my home? Hold on, how's my mindset through all this thing? And it really does – all of it matters. It really does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the whole synergistic complete approach. Exactly. So thank you so much, Coach Jake Carter, for joining me. I think you're um, – just your enthusiasm always like literally jumps off the page on your posts and, and it definitely jumped off um, into my ears with our chat and I know it will for the people listening. So I really appreciate you joining me for the show and I so look forward to having you back. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for this great opportunity. I'm really looking forward to coming back. Welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action and there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.